God damn you. It is a little strange that we have such an aversion to slavery uh, because historically there have been abuses for many people, poor people, perhaps people who weren't educated, perhaps people who had no other opportunity. Working for a gentle, caring, loving master was the best of all possible worlds. Campus is a loaded minefield. There are girls everywhere. And it's guaranteed that I will pass some attractive girls as I walk in between classes. If it's not requiring her to sin, but simply hurting her, then I think she endures verbal abuse for a season, and she endures perhaps being smacked one night, and then she seeks help from the church. It would be hard for me to see how a woman could be a drill sergeant, right face, left face, keep your mouth shut, private, over, over men without violating their sense of manhood and her sense of womanhood. Go home. They want power, not equality. This is the highest location they can ascend to that power in the evangelical church. We are meaning makers and storytellers. And the stories we tell ourselves are the stories that shape our lives. We need each other badly or goodly. We need each other. And we keep forgetting again and again and again that we are loved. And we say, no, I'm no good. No, I messed it all up. No, I feel so guilty. No, I feel so ashamed. We need each other. In the midst of this difficult, dark, and often violent world, we need to have a community of support to which we can call all people and be a community of hope. Hello and welcome everyone to the opening podcast. This is episode 11, I believe. We are going to be getting into summer camps. It's May, and kids are excited about finally getting back to summer camps, and parents are maybe looking forward to that week without the kids. I remember when I was a kid, my dad started a math competition, and we had to stuff envelopes during our summers in order to, that would be sent out to the schools with advertisements for, uh, for the math competition. And so for me, I couldn't wait for summer camp because it was going to be the week where I get to not have to stuff envelopes. I'm sure it probably wasn't quite as bad as I thought it was at the time, but summer camp was a really fun time as a kid. And it was something that I enjoyed uh, pretty much every single year from fourth grade on, and I eventually in college went and worked at a, a summer camp for a couple years, and so had a lot of experience in that world, and today we're going to be reading an article about it. But I wanted to, to start off, before we get into that, just a couple quick announcements. I have been releasing some music this year under the artist name Provoke Wonder. That's the name that I use for my music. You can find it wherever you get your music, Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon, wherever. And I released a, a single in, in December called Dear Church, or sorry, January, called Dear Church. And then 
I just recently released one called Go Be Free, which was inspired by Beth Allison Barr's The Making of Biblical Womanhood. You can, uh, so you can hear that now. And then just today, uh, before recording this episode, I did the vocals for my next single, and so I'm hoping that will come out sometime soon. We'll have to get it mixed and mastered and everything, so... But that uh, next song will be coming down the pike here soon. Um, also, before we before I read this article for today, I wanted to just preface it. Normally, I, I wait to talk about the article until afterwards, but I wanted to preface it, this one in particular, because this article gets into a lot about COVID. And this was in uh, the summer of 2020 when, uh, when summer camps were... Christian summer camps were trying to figure out what to do about gathering. And, you know, it's like they were facing the possibility of shutting down their camp, which if you you consider, you know, hundreds of dollars per camper times all the campers that they get for the summer, that's quite a bit of income that they lose. And so, but we also were struggling with COVID. And so there were a lot of tough decisions that had to be made. And I just want to preface before I get into this article here, I am, I am not a scientist, and I am not a public policy expert, and so even though I voiced some pretty strong opinions in this article, um, I want to recognize that there are um, other people out there who may have different opinions about some of that stuff, and quite frankly, I don't have the energy to reignite debates about masks and social distancing and vaccines. I happen to trust what Francis Collins says about those things. I um, happen to trust that the the officials that were in charge during that season were adjusting their recommendations in good faith without having some secret sinister plan to persecute Christians. But I'm not really interested in spending this episode rehashing all of the arguments that were played out on Facebook about all that. Maybe I should, but I just... It's not really where I'm at right now. So understand that uh, as you listen to this, to this episode, to this article. Um, in this podcast, I, I really want to, I want to give some space to differences, but I also want to focus more on not rehashing all of that stuff, but I want to focus more on how Christian camps form identity and then make their decisions in light of that. So this article was entitled Coronavirus Summer Highlights the Best and Worst in Christian Camps. It was published on August 4th, 2020 in Baptist News Global. I stood next to my friend in the parking lot of our Baptist church with my large suitcase while our moms took our photographs. I was eight years old, and I was about to experience my first time away from my parents overnight at a week of summer camp. The next five days felt like Neverland. I stayed in a cabin with eight other boys and two college-aged counselors. We rode boats, played large group games, filled our bellies with the most amazing meals, went on hikes, and cheered on our teams while all the anxieties of our eight-year-old world seemed like a distant whisper. By the time I was 18, I'd been to Christian camps a total of 17 times, so when it came time to figure out what I would do with my college summers, of course I decided to spend two of them working at a Christian summer camp. 
Last summer, my wife and I stood in the hallway of a large, state-of-the-art cabin looking down into the eyes of our nine-year-old son. It was the first time we were going to be apart since the day he was born. His voice quietly trembled and his glasses slightly misted as we said our goodbyes. Then we watched as he turned into the room to pick out his bed. We could not have been more excited for him. With the coronavirus pandemic surging, we made the decision not to send our kids to summer camp this year. But as someone who has invested so much of my life in summer camps, I watched with great interest and concern about how the camps I was familiar with were going to proceed. Coronavirus and Summer Camps 2020 According to the American Camp Association, only 6.5 million of the usual 26 million children and teens attended camps this summer, with just 18% of overnight camps operating. The losses for the industry are estimated to be around $16 billion and 900,000 jobs. While the Federal Reserve decided on July 17th to allow nonprofits to receive federal assistance through the Main Street Lending Program, not every camp can qualify. The financial hit on this already financially tight industry is astounding. Between the financial strain and the mental health benefits from being outdoors, no one would fault camp boards and directors for wanting to do whatever they can to provide a fun summer camp experience for as many kids as safely possible. As the summer approached, camps seemed to be moving forward cautiously. One such camp decided to make all their decisions by four principles. Trust God, obey authority, value people, and give every camp every opportunity to happen. Ultimately, when the governor in this state allowed overnight camping, the camp moved ahead while following the state's requirement for each camper to receive a negative COVID-19 test within seven days before arrival at camp, and while pledging to follow any other guidelines health officials said were necessary. However, when camp leaders became concerned about the requirement that campers provide a negative COVID-19 test within seven days of arriving at camp, they decided to submit an alternative suggestion to the governor's office and to send our thoughts as camp professionals to the governor. Over the next month and a half, photos and videos were posted online of hundreds of kids each week playing, singing, dancing, cheering arm in arm with bandanas around their necks, but very few pulled over their faces. The camp said, There are few environments where we will require the bandana to be worn. It's only a few times throughout the day. While the staff promised to help with the cleaning, the elementary-aged campers were required to clean the cabins and restrooms, quote, as it is part of teaching them responsible living, unquote. And their conservative evangelical parents and youth pastors were ecstatic. Parents began posting comments online such as, Giving me the chills! God is great! Yes, Lord! To God be the glory! One parent said, These kids needed this so badly. A mom, another mom, said, My son told me this morning at breakfast, Mom, when you're at camp, you forget all of this corona stuff exists. My heart began to sink. I know full well the pull of summer camp, and as a stay-at-home dad of five kids, I totally feel the desire to get out. But how can you claim to be taking the pandemic seriously enough while having six- to twelve-year-old kids cleaning the restrooms and wearing masks so little that they, quote, forget all this corona stuff exists, unquote. Soon, COVID-19 began to spread within Christian summer camps, and the ones that chose to open had to begin shutting down. One camp director said to parents, As the summer wore on, we found it harder and harder to control the environment, even with great policies and protocols in place. Ultimately, we made the decision to shut down because we saw trouble coming, 
and we no longer felt confident that we could provide a safe environment for your camper and our staff like we promised to do. According to a CDC report released last Friday, one camp in North Georgia had 597 campers, with 260 out of the 344 that were tested for coronavirus coming back positive. While the camp reportedly followed all recommended safety procedures, and while all campers and staff had tested negative prior to attending, officials said, quote, relatively large cohorts sleeping in the same cabin and engaging in regular singing and cheering likely contributed to transmission, unquote. According to the Christian Camp and Conference Association, more than half of their 872 member camps decided to stay open this summer, a number hugely out of line with the overall national trend. Given the health risks, why have so many Christian camps, especially conservative Christian camps, decided to open when only one out of every five total overnight camps in America opened? The Heart of Summer Camping The summer camp experience is about a human connection with self, others, and nature. Christian camps see those connections as invitations into a connection with God. The 13th century mystic St. Francis of Assisi saw all of creation not only as our neighbors, but as family. St. Bonaventure spoke of creation as the fountain, full, the fountain fullness of God's expressed being. Summer camps give us a taste of our connection with creation as our family flowing from the fullness of God. For some more conservative Christian camps, however, there is a more fearful motivation, namely, saving the eternal souls of their campers. The CCCA works to maximize the ministry of its members, quote, so more people become committed disciples of Jesus Christ as they trust in Jesus' substitutionary atonement for sin and obey the Bible as the supreme authority in all matters of faith and conduct, unquote. These priorities lead them to boast of the tens of thousands who have been saved and more than 400,000 adults who are now involved in full-time Christian work as a result of their camps serving 130,000-plus churches. At one large evangelical Christian camp in Missouri, Christians who make professions of faith during camp get to ring a bell, adding enticement to the salvation draw. This is part of the lore of the camp tradition. Other camps allow the kids to celebrate their salvation decision by giving them a microphone on a stage to announce it to the entire camp as a testimony, after which they receive a standing ovation. For evangelical camps, the ultimate priority goes way beyond a connection with self, others, nature, and God. Rather, the ultimate motivation is to save the eternal souls of campers from hell. Running beneath the magic of many conservative Christian summer camps is the theology that God is going to torment the campers in the fires of hell for all eternity if they do not choose to say the sinner's prayer and trust that God punished Jesus on the cross instead. They brand it publicly as hearing about Jesus, which sounds inspiring when said by smiling faces with cool haircuts and trendy clothes and when set to intimate lighting and fun music. But make no mistake, these camp leaders literally believe God is going to burn these kids and watch their little bodies writhe in the flames to glorify himself forever. The fairy tale dreamland of these summer camps is ultimately for warning kids about the horrifying nightmare of God's eternal conscious torment. The climax of every conservative Christian summer camp's year are the hundreds of kids that, quote, get saved, unquote. Even this summer, after listing his camp's hundreds of salvation decision numbers, one camp director concluded, so for all the heavy lifting it took to operate in the midst of a global pandemic, it was worth it. 
If God is indeed planning to set everyone on fire forever who doesn't adhere to conservative Christian theology, then what heavy lifting would we not be willing to do to prevent that? What would these camps even cancel? Could that fear of hell be a factor in why over half of them decided to open? What if there were another way? 1 John 4, 17-18 says, God is love. When we take up permanent resonance in a life of love, we live in God and God lives in us. This way, love has the run of the house, becomes at home and mature in us, so that we're free of worry on judgment day. There is no room in love for fear. Well-formed love banishes fear. Unquote. Christian summer camps at their best help their campers take up a permanent residence in a life of love by banishing fear. I'm not suggesting we abandon Christianity or summer camps. I'm not trying to characterize these conservative Christian camps as haunted house experiences. They're actually quite amazing and tend to frame eternal conscious torment as well as one can. I'm simply showing how summer camps during COVID-19 could help us converge in love of self, neighbor, and God while also revealing the inherent contradiction between loving your neighbor and believing in a view of hell that is not the only way to understand God's eternal plan. What if we had better news than this? What if Christian summer camps could truly embrace the Franciscan Neverland that they are in and connect kids with Brother Sun, Sister Moon, Brothers Wind and Air, and Sister Water? to give kids a taste of their creative father being pleased to reconcile to himself all things and making all things new, until, as Julian of Norwich once said, all shall be well, all manner of things shall be well. So, like I said, I'm not going to revisit all of the COVID-19 rules and policies and recommendations and theories and get into all that kind of stuff. I wanted to uh, take some time here to reflect more on how these Christian camps form the identity of kids and then how that might inform some of the, the decisions that they make. And so I actually wanted to talk about, uh, I had the idea here of this old cartoon movie that many of us have seen is the, the, the movie Pinocchio. And the reason why I thought about Pinocchio was this place called Pleasure Island. And it reminded me of this Christian summer camp experience where these kids go to this, this place and, um, you know, it's like every day is like a holiday, but there's also some uh, identity formation going on. And so the other night I watched Pinocchio in preparation for this episode, and I, it was really interesting to sit down and just listen to the way his different, to how his identity evolves throughout the movie, for one, but then also how 
others talk about his identity. And so I want to go through the movie Pinocchio, and then I have a few thoughts on a more recent movie as well. So you might remember at the beginning of Pinocchio, he was this wooden puppet. And Jiminy Cricket, at the very beginning, he calls him a puppet, all strings and joints. And then uh, and he calls him a good piece of wood. And, and Geppetto says he just needs a little bit of paint. I think he'll be all right. And Jiminy Cricket says that he's very good, very, very good. And, and so everybody's actually really happy with his identity, even though he's a, wo- a wooden puppet. They said that he almost looks alive. And imagine if he were a real boy. And, and that, was, that was really Geppetto's desire, was that his wooden puppet be a real boy. And I think that a lot of parents, that is, as, as we think about our kids, uh, we really want our kids to live in reality, to be real. And, uh, and, and a lot of times we think of summer camps as, as their opportunity to engage with reality, to engage with nature and creation, and to engage with the questions of ultimate reality that we all wrestle with. And so I think the potential for summer camps to engage with those questions and those wonders is, is great. And, 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 and yet there's, it's more complicated than that as you get into other messages of our identity. So Pinocchio becomes a puppet, and in his first words, he says, I can move, I can talk, I can walk. I thought it was interesting that his first words were words of embodiment. Even though he wasn't quite a real boy yet, his first words were observing his body, observing his movement, his ability to talk and walk, and and he was enjoying that. It was something that that was beautiful to him. And yet, all of a sudden, here come these identity messages from everyone around him. So he's told that you have to prove you're worthy to be considered a real human. And, and in a similar way, is when you go to these Christian summer camps and they have these evangelists, these visiting pastors or evangelists come in and preach sometimes you know three messages a day, really at the heart of their gospel, at the heart of their theology, is saying that you can't be worthy to be considered a real human welcomed in the presence of God. You, Jesus had to be worthy for you because you are totally unworthy. You are so unworthy that you deserve to be tormented in hell for eternity. And, and, and so I think that that, that, uh, that identity piece that we see in Pinocchio of him having to prove himself to be worthy in, in a lot of these Christian summer camps, they just declare it outright, you're just not worthy and you can't, you can't even try. And if you try, you deserve to burn even more because you're doing it for your glory. When he, he says, as, uh, as, he, as he goes to the, to the uh, as Pinocchio goes on and starts performing for people, uh, he's told, who can sing and dance without the aids of a string? And I think that especially in these conservative Christian circles, like I was so controlled growing up. Everything I, I watched, listened to, wore, th- 
even the thoughts in my head, they were so controlled. And, and the ultimate desire, of course, was for me to grow up, to graduate from college, and to live on my own, where they would technically not have strings on me, but I would still sing and dance without the aids of a string. I would still be controlled by them psychologically. I would still be behaving as if the strings were there. The, the guy says, you will make me money, and when you're old, you'll make good firewood. Well, there's the, there's the view of evangelical Christianity on, on human life. You're here, you're going to tithe to the church. Um, if you're not, or, or you're going you're gonna, to, you know, work in our businesses, or, you know, whatever have you, in this, in this capitalistic society, it's just going to be all about making money. And in, when you're old, if you don't agree with us theologically, you're going to make good firewood in hell. You're going to burn for eternity. And it's not just going to be a, a firewood that dissolves. It's going to be a firewood that forever burns as you're screaming in pain. And so when the fairy comes along in Pinocchio and she starts talking to Pinocchio, he starts, he starts lying and he's not being honest about his true self and about the things that he said. And I think it's no wonder when we put our kids in these environments it's no wonder that our kids are too afraid to be honest about their true selves. It's no wonder that they feel they have to hide something because they're, they're facing this embodied trauma of this threat of what their body is going to go through for eternity. And so we come to this, this Pleasure Island section of Pinocchio, and they talk about how every day is a holiday. They're talking about how amazing it's going to be. There's going to be food and drinks and rides and... And, and and that's so much like the Christian summer camp experience. It's, you know, you've got gymnasiums, you've got paintball, you've got big swings, you've got the slide, you've got the blob, you've got boating, you've got games, you've got a snack shop, a coffee shop, all of these things. It's just like Pleasure Island. And, and yet, in the midst of that, while it dulls their senses, you hear the message, like in Pinocchio, give a bad boy enough rope and he'll soon make a jackass out of himself. You, you get preached to, ultimately, that you in and of yourself are already a jackass. You're already this depraved sinner. And so the fun draws kids in, and it takes down their defenses, and it physically and mentally wears them out, and that's where their identity is formed. Pinocchio and his, his friends are told, you boys have had your fun, now pay for it. You are a jackass. You are unworthy of human life and value. And, and, and that is exactly, while Christian summer camps will dress it up more, as I said in the, in the, uh, in the article, they're usually not quite as in your face as that. Ultimately, that's what their theology is saying. You are a depraved sinner. You will have your fun in life, and then you're going to pay for it. You are unworthy of simply having human life and value because of who you are as a human. You have to be, uh, you have to be granted the access due to the worthiness of somebody else who performed perfectly because you're so depraved. And and this this theology especially when you're when you're putting it on kids it affects them in ways at a deep subconscious level that they're not quite aware of how to handle and and so then how does what does pinocchio do he 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 ends up 
escaping and he ends up going out into the ocean and he's trying to find uh, he's trying to find where Geppetto is and he's looking for the whale. And I love that picture of how Pinocchio is moving toward what he fears for who he loves. And that is exactly what deconstruction is as I see it. You are, we have been threatened hell. We've been threatened instability. We have been threatened a life of, of, you know, all of these awful things uh, of being, you know, kicked out of the church are perhaps our bodies handed over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. And yet when you, when you leave those fears and those threats you're moving toward what you fear for who you love because you you realize i love i'm learning to love myself in a healthy way for the first time i'm learning to love my neighbors in a healthy way for the first time and so in a movement towards love you're also embracing the all of the possibilities that have been that have been spoken over you. And people feel that, that fear of what if I'm wrong? What if I end up burning in hell forever? And I think it's important to acknowledge that, that, that people who deconstruct and who are moving toward love, they're, they're moving into what they have feared for the sake of who they love. And I think that is something that is very beautiful. They, when, when uh, when Geppetto thinks that Pinocchio is lost, he says he was such a good boy. I think it's interesting because when we know when we lose someone, how to honor them for who they are in their true selves. He said that nothing else matters when they were united. When 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 we lose people, that's when we know what we really think about them. We don't talk about how depraved they were, how awful they were, how unworthy they were. We talk about how much they meant to us, and we honor them, because we know in our souls and in our intuition that people are worthy of that honor and that value. And so then Pinocchio turns into a real boy. They said that you have proven yourself brave, truthful, and unselfish, and and someday you'll be a real boy. And then they say, you're a real boy, and this cause calls for celebration. And And I think that while I, while I differ from Pinocchio on the you have to prove that you're worthy message, I think the fact that they're recognizing here, you are a real boy, and this calls for celebration, is something that I think is really beautiful. Like, what if we could recognize the realness of our kids and, and to see that as a cause for celebration and not for putting all of our angst on them, not for putting all of our fears on them, but for celebrating who they are and who they, uh, who they are becoming. And uh, Conscience, the Jiminy Cricket character, uh, he said that this is practically where I came in at the end uh, when they were celebrating. And I think it's interesting how Conscience comes in during celebration of realness. And I would rather my kids have a conscience that is formed by the celebration of the realness of the beauty and the goodness of their relationship with all of the cosmos around them and all of the creation and with the, within themselves and, and celebrating that, than a conscience formed by threats 
and fear and dread and all of the control factors that people spoke over Pinocchio throughout that movie. So I said there was one other movie I wanted to briefly touch on, and that is the movie Turning Red. And it's a movie that a lot of evangelicals have been up in arms over lately. After watching it, I totally get it because there's a lot of messages throughout the movie that that don't exactly go well with evangelical theology. But towards the end, and I'm going to say spoiler alert, uh, if you don't want to hear the plot, you might want to fast forward a bit, uh, but I'm going to try to say some things, uh, but you know, depending on how much you don't want to know the details, you might want to fast forward a little bit here. But towards the end, there's this scene where the, the girl meets her mother and, um, and, and, or she's talking with her mother and she said, the mother says when the mother's starting to realize what the, what the daughter is, is getting into, the mother says, this isn't you. And, and then the girl says, this is me. And the mother says, I never went to concerts. I put family first. And, and then she says, I'm not losing my daughter. And I think it's, it's such a interesting dynamic here, especially when you come to conversations about Christian summer camps, because you have this interplay of the child and the parent and who the child is, um, in relationship to the family and to the parent. And in this movie, the mother was saying, I'm not going to lose my daughter. And despite the fact that I don't think this is you, or I don't know how to connect with this, I'm not going to lose my daughter. And I wish that so many, I wish that evangelical parents would, would get this mindset that you're not, don't lose your kids. Embrace. If you want to not lose your kids and based off of the, your fears of the wild within your kids, then embrace the wild within yourself reflect on the wild within yourself. Um, the, the, there was a, a scene where the daughter meets with the mom and, and yet it was the mom as a child remembering the wild within herself, remembering the fears and the, the wonders and the wounds that she had as a child. And, and, and the daughter says to her mom, she says, I'm changing. I'm finally figuring out who I am, but I'm scared it'll take me away from you. And the mom says, me too. She says, I see you. You were trying to make everyone happy, but you're so hard on yourself. And if I taught you that, I'm sorry. So don't hold back for anyone because the farther you go, the prouder I'll be. And I just would love if evangelical Christian parents could meet their kids as from a posture of being children themselves. To, to remember what that was like, to, to, to apologize to their kids for teaching them to be so hard on themselves and to encourage their kids to not hold back for anyone and to let them know that they're proud of them. And the, the daughter says when she makes her decision to embrace the wild within her, she says, I'm not going to regret this, am I? And I think that's a, a real question that so many of us have. With the decisions that we have in life, I'm not going to regret this, am I? Parents, when we're considering to send, whether to send our kids to summer camp or not, 
I'm not going to regret this, am I? Kids, as they're trying to figure out in their teenage years who they are, and they're trying new things, I'm not going to regret this, am I? And I think we can, what's important is not to answer, oh, no, you won't regret this, or yes, you will regret this, but to sit in that question, to sit in that question together and, and, and to be present in that. They're told that, that nothing stays the same forever at the end of Turning Red. It says, nothing stays the same forever. We all, we've all got an inner beast, a messy, wild inner part of ourselves hidden away, and a lot of us never let it out, but I did. How about you? And my desire for, for Christian summer camps would be that they would be a place that connects our inner wild with the wild around us. And that as the guest speakers come in, that they wouldn't come in to kids who are tired and worn down and then threaten them with hell, but they would come into kids who are well connected with creation, with self and neighbor, and, and then sit in the question with them. And, and, and help them process their own identity as, as a, within reality as something to be celebrated. And so speaking of guest speakers, as I said before, I don't plan on having interviews very often, but I do have some interviews that I've done over the past year or so. And for so for our next couple episodes, I'd like to share a conversation that I had with Wendell Griffin. He is a U.S. circuit judge and a pastor, and especially as the Supreme Court seems to be preparing to overturn Roe v. Wade, Christians have been thinking about their relationship with the court system. A lot of Christians are talking about overtaking the court system and in order to try to you know, promote their theology and different things. And so I thought it would be good to share this conversation that may offer a different perspective on theology, politics, and justice than what most Christians in the United States are used to. And so that is what we're going to be discussing on our next episode of The Opening. I don't think that the church has integrity to speak any good news at all until the church actually understands the reality that it is living and has crafted bad news in public policy. It has established theological foundations for oppression that have lived throughout the times and only changed shape over the generations, but has not been repented of. Bad theology always produces diminished psychology. Diminished psychology produces dysfunctional sociology. Dysfunctional sociology always produces oppressive anthropology, and then they always produce oppressive economics and ideologies. You see, it all flows from bad theology. Your notion of God is wrong or flawed. Your notion of self and others and power is wrong. Thank you for listening to The Opening Podcast with Rick Pitcock. The Opening is a podcast that deconstructs the power dynamics of religious hierarchies and opens us up to healthy relationship. 
For more information about today's episode, please check out rickpidcock.com and follow on social media at Rick Pidcock.